Good morning. Uh, let's go ahead and begin class with prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to study study your word and join together as friends of yours. And we pray that your spirit will join us today, your angels will worship with us, and that our hearts will be drawn to know you better. We pray in your holy name. Amen. And we are doing lesson number seven in our quarterly, Glimpses of God, Glimpses of Our God. And the lesson title this week is Lord of the Sabbath. Somebody read the memory text for us, please, which is um, Mark 2, 27 and 28. The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. And when you hear this text, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, uh, what do you understand it to mean? God didn't, didn't, didn't make the Sabbath and then say, well, I think I'll make a man to keep the Sabbath. He made man, and then he gave them the day of rest. Sabbath was made for a reminder. Have you ever felt like it was the other way around, that we were made for the Sabbath? Never, never felt that way growing up? Yeah, I, I wondered if anybody else ever felt that way. Um, if the Sabbath was made for man, was the Sabbath in existence before man? Think of the implications. Yes, read your version, please. And what version is it? It's the CEV, the Conver- Conversational English Version. Jesus finished by saying, People were not made for the good of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for the good of people. That's nice. I think it's got a, a, a lot of truth in that. So why was the Sabbath needed when man was created, but not before man was created? This is to commemorate the creation itself, to mark an event. We have events like the Liberty of America and the founding of fathers and so on. Those are events that were there. We weren't made for them. They were made for us. Was the creation of earth the first time God created? No. No. Yet there wasn't a Sabbath to mark his prior creation. No sin. Ah, there was no sin in the universe when he created before. Was there sin in the universe when God created earth? Yes. Had Lucifer's rebellion started before God created earth? Ah, so is the Sabbath somehow its need need arose after creation of man because creation occurred in a universe where there was a conflict going on? Ah, we should think that through as we go through the class. Okay, why did the Sabbath become necessary when the universe now had a conflict, but when God created prior, he was the creator, it wasn't necessary to memorialize him as creator then? Interesting questions. Sunday's lesson. And the same thought along those lines, why will we also continue to celebrate the Sabbath after sin is eradicated from the universe? Won't we continue to to celebrate the Sabbath in the future? Yet, It will not arise again. Sin will not arise again. Will sin not arise again because we celebrate the Sabbath? Is that the reason why? No, it won't. It's not because we celebrate the Sabbath that the sin won't rise, but there's a reason we celebrate it for eternity future. We should think that through it. And I'm going to suggest to you it's connected for its original purpose because of the context in which it was made of this conflict. It's connected in some way. First paragraph in Sunday's lesson, it says, One of the most deeply embedded truths of the Bible is this. Back in Eden, in a perfect world created by a perfect God, the seventh day was set apart from the rest of the week and made holy. That's how far back and basic the Seventh-day Sabbath is. From the perspective of this world, you can't get much farther back than that. With the Sabbath, then, we're dealing with one of the most fundamental and foundational of all biblical truths. 
In what condition was man when the Sabbath was made? Perfect. Perfect. So what do you think the purpose of the Sabbath was in Eden? It was about God's character. Oh, she, she said it was about God's character. Did the purpose of the Sabbath change after mankind sinned? And, and what do you understand it to mean when it says the Sabbath was made holy? Do you understand it to mean that God imposed holiness upon the Sabbath? He declared it holy? Or do you understand it to mean he constructed it when he built it? He made it holy. Do you see the difference in the question? Remember at the end of day one through six, every day said, uh, and God said, it is good. Did it become good because God said it was good? Or did he say it was good because he created it good? Okay. So at the end of the seventh day when he said, God made it holy, blessed and made it holy, did it become holy because he declared it holy or had he actually built it holy? And what is it about the Sabbath that is inherent in the Sabbath that makes it holy? This is integral to understanding the context. What was happening in the universe? How was God described by Satan to the intelligent beings, to the angels? Arbitrary, unforgiving, harsh. Yeah, God was a tyrant. He was selfish. He, he, he required obedience and, and self-sacrifice with his creatures, but he wasn't selfless and self-sacrificing himself. These are allegations that Satan was making. He was controlling. He used power to coerce and pressure. Does the Sabbath in any way deal with some of those allegations? How does it deal with those allegations? First of all, there's an arbitrary time. When sundown on Friday night, sundown on Saturday night, be, that is the Sabbath, no question. Well, that is the Sabbath, but is it arbitrary? One of Satan's allegations is that God is severe, revengeful, arbitrary, and unforgiving. If we suggest... About arbitrary, there's no, there's no question about that one because he says it's sundown to sundown, not from midnight to midnight. But arbitrary means there's no reason. It's just because God has power, he can do it this way, he does it, you have no question, just do it. That's arbitrary. Is that how God uses his power? No. no. There's a reason. Now, we're not questioning which day of the week is the Sabbath. I think that's pretty clear. Sunset Friday, Sunset Saturday, it's very clear which day of the week is the Sabbath. The question is, did, did it become holy because God some, somehow arbitrarily declared it to be, or did he, is it holy because God actually, in its creation, created it in some way that it was set apart by its design? There's a difference, isn't there? Yes. Well, I'm going to suggest to you that God set it apart by its design. In the context of this war against his government, God used day one through six to create a planet, to create life, to create you know plants, animals, human life. This is amazing displays of power. 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 It's amazing. I mean, I mean could you imagine watching a world come into existence? Hopefully, we'll get to see the world made new again. This will be incredible. Amazing displays of power. What do we learn about God on day seven, though? We learn the character of the one who wields the power. That he presented truth in love and leaves his creatures free. See, if, if, if God was as Satan suggests, one who will use power to coerce and pressure into conformity, we would not have a Sabbath. The Sabbath is a time for us to think freely for ourselves, to come to our own conclusions. And thus Satan hates this day because it exposes all the lies. 
that he's told about about the Lord. It's almost like his silence on that day was stunning because he had put into existence the most incredible demonstration of the universe in a microcosm. And it was ready to roll. It was complete and perfect in every way. And he stepped back and didn't say a thing. He didn't say, now this is what I want you to do and this is how I want you to do it. And I want you to do it three times and on this day... He didn't come in and say... With a bunch of regulations. Right. He just put it together in perfection and said, there, now, take it and rule over it. I like to break it down just a little bit. Don't get so intellectual about it. If God can have an ulterior motive, what's his motive here? You deal with people that don't take a day off. I deal with the people do. What happens when you don't take a day off? to just relax, commune with God. What, hap- what has happened? I've seen people that never take a break, and where do they end up? They end up in your office. So I think, <laughs> I think they probably end up in my office too. I think what it is, God was showing, it says here, God rested. Now, God doesn't need to rest, but he's showing us. He's given us an example of saying, you're going to work hard for six days. Take a day off. Commune with me. You know, I'm going to push pause on that because it's the notes coming up in a minute. Okay. okay, we're going to explore that. We're going to explore that. Yeah, Linda. Well, I'd like to take a look at the miracles he did on Sabbath and see if they say something about what he intended for Sabbath, knowing we were going to sin. And so, that, for example, he, he restored sight to the blind, a man born blind. He recreated his mind and recreated his sight on Sabbath. He restored paralyzed people on Sabbath, took away their paralysis, gave them their strength and their health again. You know, he, he did a lo- I think we ought to take a look at the miracles he does on Sabbath because I think in them there is a lot of meaning as to what he intends for Sabbath to be. That's, that's a very good insight. Very good insight. Another hand. Yes. Was this the first time on Sabbath that Adam and Eve met God? Um, I don't know that we have a record that they didn't meet. In fact, no. They met him on Friday. Because Adam was put to sleep by God, and Eve was taken from his side and made on Friday. So no, there was a meeting going on there. And the animals, I don't know if they were brought on Friday before or later, but clearly on Friday God met Adam because Eve was created from Adam's side. It was Adam and Eve's second day on Sabbath at creation. Yet we count Sabbath as the seventh day of our week. Is there a relation between the two? What relation do you see? Well, it was Adam's second day on Sabbath. Yes. It was God's seventh day, but it was Adam's... Well, it wasn't God's seventh day. It was the Earth's seventh day. The Earth's seventh day. Is there any significance to that? Well, I guess we'll have to think about that, because I don't really think of any significance to that at the time. But there might be. hasn't hasn't occurred to me yet. The, the lesson said in, in the first paragraph that uh, this is one of the most fundamental and foundational of all biblical truths. And the question I wanted to throw out, what is the fundamental and foundational truth? That the seventh day is the Sabbath? Is that what's fundamental and foundational? That the Sabbath Sabbath is Saturday? Is that fundamental and foundational? That the Sabbath is holy? Is that fundamental? Or is it what makes the Sabbath holy that is foundational and fundamental, which is God's character being revealed? And it's God's character which is fundamental and foundational. 
That's what I want to suggest. Second paragraph, the next paragraph said, God created a day, he rested on that day, he blessed the seventh day, and he sanctified it, which means he made it holy or set it apart for holy use. How fascinating that God himself rested on the seventh day, whatever that means, it shows how seriously the day is meant to be taken because God himself rested on it. First question on this section, what does it mean Sabbath was set apart for holy use? I found this statement rather intriguing. The Sabbath was set apart for holy use. Are the other days of the week set apart for unholy use? No. I mean, think it through. Sabbath is set apart for holy use. What are we going to do the other days? Not do holy uses? I mean, think it through. In a world before sin, in Eden, during the other six days, were Adam and Eve doing unholy things? I just found this kind of idea through a lens, and I think this is one of the troubles we struggle with because of necessarily where we originate. We originate born in sin, conceived in iniquity. That we often see these things through the lens of a sinful world. Not the lens of the way God designed it in the beginning. But it is a day wholly devoted to God. Yes. It was different than the other six days. Yes. So how so? In, in a world before sin, was it because it was set apart to spend time with God, as was suggested? Somebody said, I had, well, didn't God come and visit with them in the cool of every day? But it wasn't the whole day. Oh, okay, so we get a whole day with God, but, and, he would, and if we wanted to take Wednesday off and spend a whole day with God, he would not, like, okay, no, I'm not coming, I'm not going to visit with you on Wednesday? Regardless of what you do on the other days, the seventh day is, is a special day. Yes, why? Yeah, what makes it special? Creation. It's been hallowed. It's it's because you know God's going to be there with you. He has set aside that time to be with you. I mean, you see your husband every day, but when he says we're going to have a date or we're going to go on a vacation, we're going to I'm going to spend 24 out seven with you. I mean, but God won't spend every other day with us. He would. He could. But but same way. But we're really. You mean he's more restrictive, less loving? He's not the same guy on any other day of the week than the Sabbath? We're the ones that are busy. We're the ones that are busy going opposite directions. And and he wants us to have a time when we when we have we don't have to do those things and we can spend time with him. No, she does she is saying true that we often are busy on other days. Well, let's look at our look our, our Christian brothers and sisters in other fellowship. Whoop, whoop. Well, we haven't got there yet. Um we're still dealing with this question. Our, our, our Christian brothers and fellow, uh, brothers and sisters who, who take Sunday aside every week to not work, to not run around and be busy, to spend time with God. Um, and one of my uh, p- persons I'm familiar with is a pastor of a Methodist church, and he teaches his church that they should celebrate Sabbath from sunset Saturday to sunset Sunday. That's what he teaches his church. 24 hours, he tells them. Not just Sunday morning. Not just Sunday morning. 24 hours aside. And he tells them that... The Bible Sabbath was sunset Friday to sunset Saturday, but by tradition, the church has changed it to sunset Saturday to sunset Sunday. He doesn't mingle words. He tells them very clearly, this is human tradition. Now, what would you tell that pastor? What's he missing? Will God not come on Sunday to spend with those sincere people? Is he there in a different attitude than he is with the Sabbath keepers on Sabbath? Does he bring them a different message than he brings the the Sabbath keepers on Sabbath? I mean, so what is special? What would you tell this Methodist pastor that he is missing if he takes 24 hours aside from sunset Saturday to sunset Sunday that he is not appreciating? What blessing is he missing? 
This was a struggle I had for my friend. I wanted to tell him, hey, you're missing something special. What would you tell him? There seems to be a blessing involved in the cycle of working six days and resting one, no matter whether it's our cycle of Sunday, of, of, of Sabbath being I hear you. Friday night. Okay. It's that cycle, six and one, that seems to have a blessing attached to it rather than, let's say, a day. Yes. The seventh day has the mark of creation. And so they can't worship the Creator God on Sunday? So if they worship on Sunday, they're worshiping the an evolutionary God? With the Sabbath shows God's seat and His power and reveals His character. The other day is the sun, moon, and the stars, right? Yes, back in the back. What are they missing? It just reminds us that He's God and we're not, I think. I mean, you know, why... If if we just change things that he has clearly outlined for us, then what have we done to God? I think you're getting really close. I like where you're going with this very much. What do you what do you got, Russell? Well, you know, the people that worship on Sunday can understand uh, the creation. They can understand the great controversy. They can understand the six day work rest cycle. They get all the benefits of all of those things. What well, we'll gets and fellowship with God? And, yeah, and fellowship with the same God that that Sabbath keepers uh, fellowship, and they can know a loving God. That what gets missed is something about the unchanging nature of God, and and that's part of His character. And it goes back to, it goes back to the the nature, their understanding of the nature of God's law. <laughs> because if if you can if you can change God's character, then you can change God's law, or vice versa. Okay, this is where it goes to, and this is the infection of, of Daniel chapter seven. Daniel chapter seven, he will seek to change times and laws. Okay, and now uh, the the way he sought to change times and laws was not just simply changing number two, number ten, and number four of the commandments. No, this is how he sought to change the time and laws. He got the idea that God's law is not the law of love upon which he built a universe to run. No, no, no. God's law is an imposed set of rules by an, 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 a, a Roman emperor kind of law put upon his creatures that we must keep. And if that is your idea of law, that law can be amended, that law can be uh, can be changed, that law can be repealed, that law can be... Uh, uh, all these different things that happen to it. And so humans and their committee came along and voted to change the law. But they can only vote to change the law if they first accepted the idea that God's law was an imposed law. If they viewed God's law like the law of respiration, no church committee has ever voted to change that law. <laughs> or the law of gravity. We don't vote to change that law. When you understand God's law is the natural law that emanates from his character that all life is built up, run upon, you see, it cannot change. So they, ha- so, so they had to accept this other law. So when you t- accept Sunday... As the Sabbath, you've accepted that God's law is not a reflection of his character. It's like a Roman emperor who imposes law upon his creatures, and it's arbitrary and can be changed, and it, it, it distorts the whole way we view God. This was, this was ultimately the real reason behind why, why I think the dangers of accepting that change day are. And, and, and then, when you accept that, then the sin problem becomes something else. You see, if God's law is a law of love upon which he built life, then sin is lawlessness or being outside the law. Like tying a plastic bag over your head, breaking the law of respiration, you're outside the law that God built life to operate upon. 
And the wages of sin is death. Okay? We see it's a natural, unavoidable consequence. If you are outside of God's law, you will die unless the Creator does something to restore you back into harmony with the law. Right? My law in your heart and mind, it says. But if you have an arbitrary law, then the problem with the arbitrary law is that the broken law has to have punishment applied. When you break the emperor's law, in order for the emperor to be just, the emperor must impose a punishment. And in order to avoid the punishment, well, then maybe somebody comes and pays your penalty in your behalf, and we have this whole penal legal distortion of God's character. And that's what comes when you accept a distortion or a change in the day from Sabbath to Sunday. You accept a change in in the kind of character and the kind of government God runs his universe upon. This is really where it breaks down. And sadly, even though we've recovered in our church, our organization, the Seventh-day Sabbath, we're still struggling as an organization to recover the reality of God's law of love. We still have remnants of that old penal system, that old imposed Roman emperor system in our thinking of how we see God and his law. And God is waiting for a people to come back and see him as Jesus revealed him to be and understand his laws and eminence and reflection of his character so that we can intelligently cooperate with him and, and, and take that message of his character to the world. It talks about God resting, and it says, um, how fascinating that God himself rested on the seventh day. Whatever that means, it shows how seriously the day is meant to be taken. And I, I found that comment rather intriguing. Whatever that means, as if we don't know what that means, that he rested? Come on. We know what that means. Let's, let's explore it. Go. It says specifically that he rested from his work of creation. I mean, Jesus himself said that he and his father never stopped working. So, you know, but if we look at the verse, it just says that he rested from all the work of creating. There you go. There you go. Exactly right. And there's a comment out of Desire of Ages where on page 206 it says, Jesus stated to them that the work of relieving the afflicted was in harmony with the Sabbath law. It was in harmony with the work of God's angels who are ever descending and ascending between heaven and earth to minister to the suffering humanity. Jesus declared and uh, was just quoted, my father works and, and I work. All days are God's in which to carry out his plans for the human race. If the, Jews in, if the Jews' interpretation of the law was correct, then Jehovah was at fault, whose work has quickened and upheld every living thing since first he laid the foundations of the earth. Then he who pronounced his work good and instituted the Sabbath to commemorate its completion must put a, put a period to his labor and stop the never-ending routines of the universe. Should God forbid the sun to perform its office upon the Sabbath, cut off the genial rays from warming the earth and nourishing the vegetation? Must the system of worlds stand through the, that holy day? Should he command the brooks to stay from watering the fields and forests and bid the waves of the sea uh, still their cease, ceaseless ebbing and flowing? Must the wheat and corn stop growing and the ripening cluster defer its purple bloom? Must the trees and flowers put forth no bud nor blossom on the Sabbath? In such a case, men would miss the fruits of the earth and the blessings that make it life desirable. Nature must continue her unvarying course. God could not for a moment stay his hand, or man would faint and die. And man also has a work to perform on this day. The necessities of life must be attended to. The sick must be cared for. The wants of needy of the needy must be supplied. Think that. The wants of the needy must be supplied. He will not be held guiltless who neglects to relieve suffering on the Sabbath. So what does it mean God rested? He rested from creating, not from working, not from laboring. 
like in court, a lawyer says when he's through presenting his evidence, I rest my case. I like that very much. In the context of the great controversy, all the angels. Who was watching when God was creating earth? The intelligences of the universes were watching. The angels rejoice, it says in, in Job chapter 38, I think verse 7, that uh, they sang for joy when the foundations of the earth were laid. And you imagine, as God finished creating this planet earth, he rests his case. Because what does planet earth reveal? It is the evidence of his character in action, the law of love in action. Consider this world teeming with life, everything operating perfectly upon God's law of love, every organism ministering to another organism, life ministering to life. What a beautiful lesson book to reveal God's methods and principles and character. Then the Sabbath, and God rested to give us time to consider and think. No coercion, no pressure. After such an incredible display of power and and. You think you might be frightened to see a world spoken into existence? You think it could intimidate you when just a couple of grams of matter we turn into energy? We call that a nuclear weapon. When enough power takes to create an entire world, a sun and a solar system. And God says, look, don't be intimidated. Here, take 24 hours aside. I rest my case. Think for yourself. No pressure. No coercion. This is why Satan hates this day. He doesn't want people to remember how God built planet Earth to operate. He doesn't want that. He wants, he doesn't, um, he wants them to think of Earth as it is now as God's design, infected with kill or be killed, survival of the fittest. He doesn't want people remembering back to the way God built the law of love as the principle upon which the Earth runs. He doesn't mind if people keep the seventh day Sabbath as long as we do it arbitrarily as a test of obedience. Because then we can kill the Creator and get Him off the cross so we can keep the day. He doesn't care. Satan was happy for those Sabbath keepers, wasn't he? Because they did his work for him. We have to press beyond which day of the week is the Sabbath and understand the character of the one who made it and the purposes upon which it was made. And even beyond creating a perfect universe, he created thinking ahead. He knew that various things that were in sin, you were still going to have to survive. So he created creatures that could take care of death and dying, sinful things, things that wouldn't have been needed in in Eden, but would be needed after sin. So he, he created with a dual purpose in mind. They could exist in perfection. They could actually exist in help and imperfection as well. I'm going to suggest to you the only reason they exist in imperfection is because as soon as man fell into sin, God began intercession. God began interceding, holding back the principalities and powers of darkness. God has suspended, it says in Romans 3.25, he left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He has suspended the full consequence of what happens when we live in sin. God has been interceding and putting this world in an artificial bubble. We are an artificial life support suspended by God while he is working to restore us into harmony. So I'm going to suggest what you're observing is God's intercessions to hold at bay the death that would necessarily come if he wasn't graciously stepping in between us and the consequences. Yeah. Um, Monday's lesson, it, it breaks down the Sabbath commandment into various parts. It says, the, 
The Sabbath commandment also is carefully structured literally. It has A, an introduction, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, B, a command, six days shall you labor and do all your work, C, a motivation, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God, uh, another command, in it you shall not work, you nor your son nor your daughter, manservant, maidservant, and so forth, motivation, for six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the seas, and rested in the conclusion, therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. And as I read this, we have a command from the Sabbath, thou shalt not work. But what about the other command? Six days shalt thou work, and shalt thou labor and do all that work. Um, if it's sin to labor on the Sabbath for your personal gain, because the commandment expresses that you should not, then is it sin not to labor the other six days because the commandment expresses we should? Did God give Adam and Eve a a work to do before sin in the garden? Are we designed by God to be active, to work productively? What happens when we stop working to us? We lose physical health. We lose mental health. We deteriorate. We lose self-respect. We lose confidence. Our development ceases. And we slowly die. It is part of God's design that we are active and engaged in working to give energy of ourselves to the uplifting and blessings of other people to be useful. So, is it sin to retire and quit working? Not, I don't mean quit earning a paycheck. I mean quit being useful in the expenditure of your energies in some productive action. Is it sinful to quit being useful? Yes. Is it sin to take welfare or charity when one is you know, state welfare or charity when one is capable of working and has the opportunity to work. Yes. <laughs> is it sin? <laughs> is it sin to live off your parents or your inheritance when one is capable of working? Yes. Is it sin to stand on a street corner with a sign will work for food and then refuse to work when one gives you a chance? Yes. Um, this is out of Second Thessalonians three six through thirteen. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers, to keep away from every brother who is idle and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. For we, for you yourselves, know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we did not have a right to such help, but in order to make ourselves a model for you to follow. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. If a man will not work, he shall not eat. We hear that some among you are idle. They are not busy, they are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the bread they eat. And as for you, brothers, never tire of doing what is right. Wow. Wow, what do you think about that? Do you remember the Sabbath to keep it holy? And do you remember to work six days? To labor and do all your work? The all is the hard part. What would your reaction be if I suggested to you that we go do business on Sabbath? 
We open up our businesses. We buy and sell. You go to your regular job. What would your reaction be to that gut reaction? What's your reaction when I say we don't need to work six days a week? Do you get the same reaction? (laughs) Or is it like, well, that's not a big deal. Do you get the same offense, the same, or do you go, or, or not? I'm going to tell you, and when I first thought this through, I didn't get that same reaction. I got, oh no, not working on Sabbath. Uh uh-uh. mm, That's sin. Mm, I'm going to do that. Mm. Take some, uh, not work at all? Well, maybe. <laughs> it didn't quite hit me the same. Should it hit us the same? Yeah, I think it should. I think it should, because we're not talking about, um, what we're talking about is the way God designed us. If, if, if you don't use it, you lose it. This is for our health. This is for our benefit. In our society, I'm going to tell you, in our society, we hurt people. We destroy character. We destroy individuality. We destroy productivity if, in fact, we give people charity that are capable of working for themselves. You remember the old saying, give a man a fish, feed him for a day, teach a man to fish, feed him for a lifetime? We need to be giving people opportunities to develop themselves, those who are capable. I'm not talking about the, being not, uh, not being charitable to people who have real need. I'm not talking about such things. I'm talking about giving handouts to people who could, could do useful labor themselves. This is destructive. It goes back to the purpose of why we work. Are we working truly to help others and for the good of society, the good of God's kingdom? Are we working to build up ourselves and make our own kingdoms and our own so again, back to the, the principle. The Sabbath was designed to reveal God's character, right? We were made in whose image? In the image of God. God is always working. Christ came to be served and not to serve, right? No, he came to serve and not be served. And we are to imitate Christ, to be active and working. And when we are idle, we misrepresent God. When we take from others when we have the opportunity to give, when we have capabilities to give, we misrepresent God. Earthly kings have servants to wait on them. The heavenly king came to wait on us. It's a complete opposite mindset. And the Sabbath is to remind us both of the, God's character in creation, but also that we have a duty to represent him in the way we live our lives, to be productive and useful in helping others. Yes, Cindy. My comment was actually very similar to that. I said his was the purpose of, and mine was the perspective of, how is it that we are viewing, quote-unquote, work? How is it that we're viewing what we need to do each day to contribute to those around us? And if instead of looking at it as work, we look at it as what a gift and what an opportunity, then it doesn't have to have that onerous element. It's today is a gift from God. How can you use that day to benefit those around you. So are you suggesting it could change the mindset of how we experience our job? Absolutely. As well as the jobs we pursue, possibly. Nice. And the question is, uh, how do you want to see your, your full life and contrib- your contribution? And then also, how broadly do you interpret the text? Is it unlawful to do good on the Sabbath? What is good? Yeah, I think we, I think that's a great question. We should come to it in just a moment. Yes. The river of life. I like. I like it. I like it. It flows, doesn't it? It gives. Yes. I have a couple of thoughts there. Sometimes it's imperative that you work on the Sabbath. 
Born and raised on a dairy farm. Guess what? Before I went to church, I milked a cow. When I got home, guess what? I milked the cows again. Because if you don't milk the cows, guess what? You don't get as good a paycheck. No, yeah, okay. Whether you're rich or poor, you like money. I'll leave that alone. The other thought I had is if I get called in here and I'm on call right now, if somebody breaks their neck out on the freeway, guess what? I may have to run out of here to go help the neurosurgeon put this guy back together. So, yes, sometimes it's imperative. You have to do something on the Sabbath. And, yes, I get well paid for it. I love the paycheck. But I've also had people say, you're a Seventh-day Adventist? I can't believe you're working on Saturday. And, okay, I have an open. I have an opening to start talking to this person. Uh, Wednesday's lesson, you, and you've hit on several issues I think we're about to jump into. Wednesday's lesson, uh, middle, middle of the lesson, it asks, what is the context of healing why would Jesus have done it specifically on the Sabbath day? And what is the major point he was, uh, was clearly trying to make? And Zarvages, page 206, the commentary has this, this to say about that. Jesus had come to magnify the law and make it honorable. He was not to lessen its dignity, but exalt it. The scripture says he shall not fail nor be discouraged till he has set judgment in the earth. He had come to free the Sabbath free the Sabbath from those burdensome requirements that had made it a curse instead of a blessing. From this, this reason, for this reason, he had chosen the Sabbath upon which to perform the acts of healing at Bethesda. He could have healed the sick man uh, as well on any other day of the week, or he might simply have cured him without bidding him to bear his bed, but this would not have given him the opportunity he desired. A wise purpose underlay every act of Christ's life on earth. Everything he did was important in itself and in its teaching. Among the afflicted ones at the pool, he selected the worst case upon which to exercise his healing power and bade the man to carry his bed through the city in order to publish the great work that had been wrought upon him. This would raise questions of what it was lawful to do on the Sabbath and would open the way for him to denounce the restrictions of the Jews in regard to the Lord's day and to declare their traditions void. You see, the Jews did not have a problem on which day of the week was the Sabbath. Satan did not mind them restricting freedoms and burdening people with their rules one day out of every seven to make that day the most imprisoned, most burdensome, most onerous day of the week. He, he enjoyed taking the day that God designed for freedom and turning it to a day of slavery. Now, do we have any such troubles? One of the listeners to our class emailed me this email. Currently, my church is having an issue with getting musicians to play for services on Sabbath. We have musicians in the congregation that play, but they want someone of a certain caliber to work with the various choirs that we have. And sometimes those of that caliber are not Adventist, even though they are Christians. Well, some are. Some of these persons wear jewelry, and members have an issue with that. Plus, they are also paid to play on Sabbath. A friend of mine recently returned from Atlanta where he was paid handsomely to play on Sabbath in various churches um, where they paid so well that he didn't have to work the rest of the week. So, the question, should musicians be paid to perform in church on Sabbath? Preachers are paid to preach. Next question, should we hire people, yeah, should we hire people to speak in church? On Sabbath. They shouldn't be paid either on Sabbath, should they? Well, it, you know, if you went by the Bible, you're right. If you went by Roman tradition, they get paid. 
the Bible, the evangelists were subsidized by the church to go out and evangelize, but the church pastors were not subsidized by the church. The church pastors had to earn their own living. That's the Bible way. Well, the Roman way is they trained orators to come and give speeches to entertain, and they would come and they wouldn't have a, a group discussion. They would have someone entertain and speak and give speeches, and they paid the paid speakers to speak. And so, yes, should we? You can argue it either way. So, uh, the, the, But the person asked the question. I didn't respond. I brought it to the class. You can respond to our online listener uh, should we pay our musicians to perform on Sabbath? Before we get too far away from that pastor issue, I'm not certain he's paid to preach on Sabbath. He's paid to do the preacher's job. And Sabbath is the time when he preaches and builds up the flock. But the rest of the week is his work. Go ahead. <laughs> you know, when, when, when the church looks for a new pastor... They bring him in, and they don't have. They don't tell him. I want you to go out and and take care of the flock this week, and we're going to see how you do. No, they don't do that. They bring him up and put him on the stage out front, and they have him preach. And then they decide: is this the guy for us or not? So they're not actually looking at pastoral skills; they're looking at or, or public speaking skills. Pastoral skills are first important, at, uh, oftentimes. Yes. I, I'd like to change a verb. Okay. I'd like to change perform to minister when you're talking about musicians. Okay. All right. Because to me, it makes a fundamental difference. Excellent point. Excellent point. So should we pay, be paid to minister? <laughs> All right. How about, let me, let me, let me change some words. Is it okay? Instead of should we, is it okay, permissible, acceptable, honorable to pay musicians to minister in church? Yes. I know how I've handled this myself. I think the employer should pay, but the employee can make that decision, and that preserves the freedom of that uh, decision of how I'm going to keep the Sabbath. Yeah, two things. Mother was a nurse, and she worked on Sabbath, but she always gave that day's wages to the, to someone who needed it or to the church. Second thing is, if God gave you the talent of music and that becomes your profession, somehow you have to be rewarded for that. Uh, should you, you know, I have friends who have really tried to get minister of music as a profession in the church so they could be paid just like the pastor. I don't see a problem with that. Okay. Now, just, you know. I'm going to sing at this church today, so you need to pay me or that one on an individual basis. I think that's different. Wendell. I think it goes back to um, if a performance is paid, or is this a ministry in which you practice, prepare, and work the other days in preparation for that one day of ministry? Are you being paid for that one 30-minute or 15-minute or whatever it is time frame? Are you being paid for the hours that you're spending prior to that to prepare yourself to minister to that congregation? Or perhaps, am I making a tempest in a teapot? No. No. Some said yes, some no. This is out of uh, Second Chronicles 5, 12, and 13. All the Levites who were Levites 
who were musicians, Asaph, Heman, Judithan, and their sons and relatives, stood on the east side of the altar, dressed in fine linen, playing cymbals, harps, lyres. Uh, th- they were accompanied by 120 priests sounding trumpets. The trumpeters and singers joined in unison uh, as with one voice to give praise and thanks to the Lord. Accompanied by trumpets, cymbals, and other instruments, they raised their voice and praise to the Lord and sang, He is good, his love endures forever. The Levites. This was the Levites. The Levite musicians. How did they get paid? One-tenth of the tithe went to the Levites to pay them to perform music. My problem with church is that we pay people to entertain us, basically. And if we used that money to minister to other people that were in need, I think we would gain more of a blessing from it than to just sit and listen. Two thoughts on that. I think you answered your question right off the bat before you even asked the question. The biblical way of the pastor of the church doesn't get paid. The evangelist does. So if you're evangelizing, I have sort of a yes and a no answer to your original question, should we pay him? When you lead song service of the church, you don't get paid. But yes, I have gotten paid when I have gone to other churches to do something for them because of my you know, my musical skills. Yeah, and I've accepted it. Usually I've given it back to something because I don't use it for personal gain. But you're still answering your question. Yeah, if you're evangelizing, what's the problem? If you're a church, there are churches that pay. So you're going along with what yeah. Brittany said, yeah. uh, evangelizing versus entertaining. Yeah. If we're doing entertainment, then that's a problem. If we're evangelizing, then that's not a problem. Who are we to decide? Yeah, well, then who are we to decide? So uh, Thursday's lesson, it says, Jesus, through his Sabbath miracles, demonstrated what the Sabbath is really about. It is a day for healing and restoration. Jesus intended the Sabbath to call to mind God's creative power. Thus, the Sabbath is a day when he frees the captives, makes the lame walk, and restores the sight of the blind, what Linda was suggesting earlier. What do you, I think this is well said. The Sabbath reminds us of the one who heals, restores, stands us on our feet again, uh, the, the fruits of the Spirit that we regain self-control. We can stand on our own two feet in God's grace. And the Sabbath reminds us of that healing power. Not just reminds, but I think that's God's intent for the Sabbath for us. That on, especially on the Sabbath, we have, our sight is restored. Our paralyzed spiritual nature is, re, is un, released. You know, we, those things that he does on Sabbath, for those people physically, he means to do for us spiritually. What do you all think about that? And then the question, of course, do we get an advantage when we appreciate the Sabbath versus if we appreciate God but not the Sabbath? Does, it, does appreciating the Seventh-day Sabbath, as we've talked about it in here today, help us in that, in that process versus somebody who's a Christian and loves God but they, don't, they haven't come to understand? I'm going to suggest to you the Sabbath is really only rightly understood in the setting of the great controversy over God's character. If you take that away, it does become arbitrary and it twists his character. But in the setting of the great controversy, its purpose made for man in that setting, in the war, then suddenly we see God's gracious, loving character, his provisions for us. We see this isn't a test of obedience, but it's a blessing for our protection. We see it's designed for our health and well-being, not something to be restrictive and to control us. And, and, the, and the Isaiah tells us that the Sabbath is to be called a delight. 
did you grow up in this church delighting on the seventh day? I heard some yeses. I'm going to tell you, uh, going to schools, College Academy in Southern, it wasn't generally the most delightful day. It was the most restrictive day. The days, it wasn't the days of freedom. Here's the day you can have freedom. It was the days where you were restricted. You can't, you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't. You will, you will, you will, and you will. Yes. <laughs> but it's perfectly right to be idle in that ball afternoon. Yes, it's, it's, it's perfectly right on Sabbath afternoon while you can't do any activities to do your lay activities. <laughs> to lay down and do nothing. Right? That's what he's saying. I, I can tell you that I think that we have a, a ways to go so that people experience the joy of the Sabbath. How can you help? And maybe we should have a dialogue. How can we help people experience the joy of the Sabbath without Judaizing it to become so restrictive it becomes a burden? First of all, you have to have a relationship with the God who created the Sabbath. Right. You can't expect just because it was called the Sabbath that all of a sudden we're going to appreciate it and love it when we don't do anything with him all week long. She said you have to have a relationship with him. Great. And once you have that relationship, then keep going. It's great. Once you have that relationship, then you look forward to the Sabbath. The, to me, when I was a kid, no, Sabbath wasn't that much of a delight. As an adult, I don't know what I'd do without the Sabbath, because that is the day that I can put aside all my worries and cares of the week and say, Lord, be with me today and help me to forget all the things that bother me and spend time just knowing you, doing for others what you would do, and help me to bring joy to others on this day. And so with, if your focus is on the relationship and the person you're spending time with, then does your focus move away from all the things you can't do? Absolutely. So you have more freedom to do things? You can actually go and, and, and spend time in nature and, and, and take a swim on the Sabbath? Oh. <laughs> wait, wait, she's talking, she's talking. There was a time with... There was a time when I would not even consider doing that. It was a sin. I was raised that way. But since coming to your class and having a better understanding of the character of God of love, God wants me to love the nature that he created. He wants me to enjoy and be out there among the things that he created for us to enjoy. So, no, to me, there's nothing wrong with that. Today. Now, this reminds me of a story my wife told me. When she was a little girl, she was raised, her dad was an Adventist pastor, and uh, they would go out into nature, and sometimes they, they grew up in Florida, they'd go to the beach walk on the beach on Sabbath, and she loves the ocean, loves the water, and she was out jumping in the waves and playing in the ocean, and her dad said, you know, because you could wade, but you couldn't go jumping in the ocean and, wade, and, and swimming on the Sabbath, okay? And, she, and, and her dad said, what are you doing? And she said, enjoying God's nature. <laughs> and that put an end to that. That was it. Yes. I think it's, it's also important, you know, that we strive for balance, because I know for myself, I can, set, I can turn the Sabbath into something that's all about me. I want to do the stuff <clears throat> that I find fun. And, and when you start talking about um, you know, doing something for others, the instinctive reaction is, no, that's my day. You know? And instead, you know, I think what we can do to help other people see that the Sabbath is a delight is to start delighting in it ourselves and not just for what we can do to benefit ourselves, but for what we can do to benefit others. Very nicely said. Very nicely said. Wendell. It also goes back to how we lived the other six days. 
I, I, well said. Because oh, thank you for saying that. Expand. If we are so exhausted by our six days of labor that we have no ability to commune with God on the Sabbath, then have we worshipped God by putting Him first during the other six days or not? No, well said, and, I, and it triggered something in my mind, and that has to do with, in this church, there's been a historic um, connection between Sabbath-keeping and God's seal and Sunday-keeping and Mark of the Beast, okay? And some people have gotten very, very literalistic and gotten it down to just that was it, okay? And I want to suggest to you that this, these are symbols of methods, principles, systems, and motives is what these are symbols of. And the true Sabbath keeping is not simply cessation of work from sunset Friday to sunset Saturday, but it's a life in which you have the law written on your heart and mind and that you live God's principles embodied in the Sabbath, which we live a life where we present truth in love for other people and leave them free, to make up their own mind. This is what true Sabbath keepers do. Whereas people who receive the mark of the beast, what is it the system does? No one can buy or sell save him who has the mark of the beast. They use coercive pressure. And so a system in which, regardless of which day you worship on, if you will use power to coerce, threaten, and pressure people to conform to your way, that is the mark of the beast. And these days represent that system. Uh, we're not just specifically which day of the week. And, and so it goes back to the whole life that we live. Yes, way in the back. <clears throat> like that lady was saying in the front, when we know Christ and we experience that joy, we don't have to say anything. Yeah. They'll see how we are, and they'll and then they'll come to love the Sabbath, but we're so busy telling people what to do. And a lady told me one time, we shouldn't shouldn't on ourselves. And that's the truth, is that we just need to live it. And everything, it'll, it'll, we will experience joy. People will see that. And I think we're so busy, you know, and I think not just our church, but as Christians in general, we just need to know God, truly know God. And we do that daily with, you know, with him, especially on the Sabbath. And we miss that blessing and we miss not only the blessing for us, but who's around us. Well, well said, well said. Um, Friday's lesson, I want to close with this. The first question in Friday's lesson. It's easy today, with hindsight, to mock the hardness and coldness of those religious leaders who attack Jesus for his Sabbath healing. And they certainly will be judged for their actions. <laughs> At the same time, try to put yourself in their sandals. These man-made rules had been around for so long that these leaders all but thought the rules were the very essence of Sabbath-keeping itself. Hence, they truly believed that Jesus was violating the Sabbath. How would we feel were someone to come along today claiming great light and truth, maybe even doing miracles, yet was, in our view, trampling on the fourth commandment or challenging you know, preconceived ideas, um, how might we react? What important lesson can we learn from this exercise about knowing how to separate truth from mere tradition, and why is it not always easy to do? Well, the first statement about, uh, and they certainly will be judged for their actions, how do you understand it? Do you understand it as, we will look at history of their lives and we will draw lessons. We will make judgments that will help us live better lives. We will learn from the experience of others. Is that what it means? Do you think that's what they're saying? Well, that would be, that would be appropriate, wouldn't it? That's the Bible's there for us to look and draw judgments or lessons to help us live better lives. But that's not what you think they mean. No. Do you think they're, they're suggesting that they will be legally judged and punitively punished? Yes. 
Toast it. Toast it, yeah. Uh, I, like, I like what Jesus said personally, to, the way to interpret this idea, and that's in Matthew twelve thirty three, where he said, you make, a tree, uh, make a, a tree good and his fruit will be good, and make a tree bad and his fruit will be bad. Um, he says, from the overflow of the heart, a mouth speaks, the good man brings forth good of the good stored up in him, the evil man brings forth evil of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that men will give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken, for by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be judged. And in the context, what is he simply saying? That in the day of judgment, you will be properly diagnosed. Your very condition of heart will determine your destiny. You've either opened your heart to receive Jesus Christ, renewal, the law written on the heart and mind, or you've held to selfishness and Satan's ways, and that will also be exposed. So the judgment is simply the proper diagnosis of your condition. What is your heart? And I want to say a prayer, and then I have a couple of announcements. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the, the incredible way that you have dealt with us, that you have presented the truth in love, and you have always left us free, Lord, even when it was painful, even when it's hurtful, even when we took the life of your Son. You didn't stop our freedom. Lord, may we learn to value your principles and methods. May we learn how to love as you love, even when it costs. And may we learn how to be truthful and leave others free. We pray in your holy name. Amen. Amen.